Welcome to the MRC Talks podcast. I'm Isabel Harding. For 2019, we're launching a 12-part career inspiration series. We'll feature 12 scientists, all working in different areas of medical research, to find out how they got there and what makes them tick. First up, Debs Barber talks to Daniel Freeman, a professor of clinical psychology at the University of Oxford. My focus is about uh, understanding what causes mental health disorders uh, in order to develop better treatments. That feels very interesting and it feels like we are making progress and I think that helps with some of the stuff that's uh, always less appealing, one's job, that um, you can get it through because all the exciting stuff and the people around you. Although many view it as a gateway to immersive video gaming, Daniel sees virtual reality as an exciting technology that has the capability to go far beyond the world of entertainment. Daniel's been working with VR for over 15 years. As a world pioneer in using VR to understand and treat mental health problems, he's worked on over 15 clinical trials and he led the largest ever randomised control trial of a psychological treatment for a mental health problem. Driven by listening to what patients want, he co-founded a spin-out company called Oxford VR, who use immersive technology to increase access to evidence-based psychological therapies. He's also committed to telling the wider world about his work. He's authored 10 books and over 200 peer-reviewed journal articles. One of the areas Daniel and his team believe immersive VR can help with is in opening up new, innovative treatment options to a wider range of people. Although the NHS offers psychological therapies to treat people diagnosed with various mental health conditions, not everyone is currently getting access to the help they need. Especially for those experiencing severe mental health problems, access can be difficult. In collaboration with a wide range of people, from other researchers to game designers, Daniel's team have created virtual environments of the situations that patients find challenging in their day-to-day lives. In Daniel's words, VR is powerful because although they know it's not real, they can do things that they wouldn't normally try in the real world. After seeing promising results in the early trial, Daniel's team are now at the beginning of a new study using VR with the cognitive therapy built into it, called Thrive. Just imagine being inside a video game, but at the same time you're standing opposite a therapist who is explaining the treatment and teaching you new coping techniques. It's early days and the team have a lot more work to do. But without the technological barriers of the past, using VR in the clinic to treat mental health problems could soon be a part of the future. So, um, firstly, how would you describe your job to a non-scientist friend in the pub? (laughs) My focus is about uh, understanding what causes mental health disorders uh, in order to develop better treatments. And in particular, uh, I'm focused upon uh, trying to Uh, produce better outcomes for patients who have uh, delusions. And sort of taking it back to the very, very beginning of your journey, how, when did you first know that you wanted to be a scientist active in research? Um, I think it was very much at at university. I did a natural sciences course and tried lots of different sciences and really took to psychology and um, I think I fell in love with the subject actually at, at that point and I really didn't know much about how one then became a clinical academic, um, but I thought I'd give it a go. And at that stage, you get sort of what's called an assistant psychologist position straight after university. And um, and from then on, basically, um, I completely took to it, I have to say. So in a very, very brief format um, and as an elevator pitch, can you tell me how you reached this point in your career? Um, 
I guess I've always been just focused on the clinical issue. For me, it's about what can you do to help people suffering from a particular problem. And that's always been the driver for it, really. And that's led to me trying to understand uh, problems, trying to think of new treatments, and then testing them out. And increasingly, as my career has progressed, really, it's about issues then about implementing uh, innovations. And um, what made you decide to have a career in this area? For me, I think as soon as I was first in an NHS service, in mental health services, and listening to patients, that has kind of inspired most of it. Um, all the ideas really have formed from being in a room and hearing patients share their experiences, listening out for the psychology of it, um, and then using that to develop theoretical models. And I've done a lot of work experimentally testing out potential causal factors. And if you do that kind of work, you're also kind of at the edges of treatment development. You can take some of the things you do at experiments, you can use them to develop therapy techniques. Um, I've done a lot of work trying to then test out whether they're effective and building up new treatments. Mental health, probably as with many conditions, there's no single cause as you're dealing with complex causation. And that means you've got a lot to learn. That means you've got a lot to do in treatments. Uh, and of course, all of that is in the context of listening to what patients want. Um, so the work has kind of been rooted in the science, very much evidence-based, but also getting a lot of patient feedback. And uh, also you have to think about the staff in the services who may be delivering treatments to. Okay, so um, what does like a typical working day for you look like? Um, I guess that's if one of the things. A typical working day. <laughs> there, there doesn't seem to be. I, I guess that's the variety of my job is, is is something I like a lot. So, you know, I might be seeing a patient with some, a member of my team uh, during the day, but I might also be supervising some of the research assistants on trials or therapists and trials, like for today, and then also having a meeting, thinking about their research and encouraging them. Um, and this week, I've also been doing some radio work as well for public <laughs> dissemination. Um, the variety is uh, partly what I love. I think during your career, it's really important that you focus and you know you, you don't get distracted. Uh, but I think as time goes on and as you as you as you build up your work, um, you have so much variety. I like working with people from different disciplines. I learn huge amounts from statisticians, from other psychologists, other psychiatrists, computer scientists now. So. Um, you know, working with smart people is, is fantastic in the work. Um, but yeah, sometimes it's hard to remember that it's so much happening in a single week. And some of the projects we've got now are rather fast paced for yeah. our world. Um, and we're doing some uh, work with virtual reality where we're working with patients to help really get their views about what they want. That's We're also working with Royal College of Art Healthcare Design Unit to help with user-centered design. We're working with PIN Foundation, a patient charity. We're working with NIHR MindTech who are about uh, implementation of digital technology. Um, we're working with Oxford VR, a university spin-out company we have who have lots of programmers doing great stuff in VR. And, you know, are then working directly with the people in my team as well making sure the projects are online so um life feels busy but um you know it's also just feels very interesting and it feels like we are making progress and i think that that helps with some of the stuff that's uh, always less appealing one's job that um you can get it through because all the exciting stuff and the people around you 
Okay, would you, and would you say the variety is the favourite part of the job for you, or is there anything else that you particularly sort of enjoy about what you do? Um, I really value the patient contact and, mm. and the privilege of listening people uh, share some, you know, really important key concerns and fears and life stories. I, I really value that. Um, I do less of this now and, and, and miss it because of the variety. I miss the actually going away and reading everything on a subject and writing stuff. I, I perhaps have less time for that now than I used to. And perhaps these days it's all, you know, it's far more supervision of others or the, the writing often is grant-based to support your team going forward. Um, so actually some of the stuff I like, actually doing stuff in solitude has, has disappeared a bit. So um, yeah, I miss that bit. Uh, so it's not variety per se. I, I, I still think, although I do variety, that there's still a clear focus that guides yeah. all of it. Um, and I think it really is, in, in summary, it is about, it's about translational work, really. It's about developing understanding, use that, develop treatments and thinking about how that applies in services and very focused, targeted work, because I think that's how you make the best progress. Okay, and what has been your biggest challenge in your career to date? Um, well, that's a question. Um, well, I mean, I guess the, 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 the run-of-the-mill challenge or the thing that one is always on your on one's mind is making sure that there's the funding in place to support the work and the team, and that, that feels... Uh, the area that some ways you have less control about. I mean, I think the systems have worked well for me. Um, the different funders at the different stages of treatment development have actually, it has worked as a joined up system and I appreciate that. You know, I've had support from like the MLC on some of the piloting and theoretical development, uh, more recently support from the NIHR on, on implementation side of it more directly. So that's worked well. But I think, I think that's always the challenge really is securing the funds to do the work. Um, but generally it's been that if you focus on a key important problem there does seem to be a good degree of backing for that. Okay and um, is there any one person who has inspired you or influenced you sort of throughout your career today? There have been lots of people um, and I think I would certainly say having mentors and people who you can look up to and learn from is, is hugely important. Um, Philippa Garrity was hugely important for uh, teaching me about science and, and delusions. Um, David Clark at Oxford has been hugely important in, in ways to understand psychological disorders and, and to, to think things through. I've benefited hugely from Graham Dunn, who's a statistician at the University of Manchester, who's help teach me about methodology and lots of other things in terms of you know how to conduct oneself as a, as a scientist um, there are many more um, I, I, that again it's one of the joys of working in science um, finding the right people and around you and there are many people who've been incredibly generous and in, in how we develop my career I mm. could actually do a whole podcast people. <laughs> I could shout out to lots of people out there who've, who've helped me and I, I think that's that's completely right. You, you, you learn so much from the people mm. around you. So imagine that your younger self was sat on at the sofa where I currently am. Uh, do you have any advice that you would give to them that you know now that you didn't know back then? Uh, well, you mean apart from a general dress sense and other things like <laughs> yeah. that? Um, 
Um, there's probably a number of things. I, I think um, I probably had a tendency to uh, to work focused on my own quite a lot, and I think uh, you know I think getting collaborations in and working with the right people early is always a good good thing to do. Um, I also I think you become more and more aware that communication is is so important that you're not just talking in jargon you've got to explain things to well people in your profession who are doing other things but also other professions so I think you have to see the bigger picture of where your work particularly fits in um, but having said all of that I think there's certain stages of your career where you, you should focus on the detail you should know everything about that particular problem and that's time well spent I think some different skills kick into play later uh, but clarity and communication and working with others is is the area I think that um, my younger self could have done better at probably my self now probably could do better <laughs> at that stuff although well you know these days actually I do I think I work and collaborate with, with huge amounts of people and really value that well, it definitely sounds like it from all the people that you've listed that have inspired you throughout your career and sort of the busyness of your week and yes. radio shows too yes it's a collective in, endeavour I think that's really true and um, there's a joy working with the senior people and learning from that there's also a joy of the younger people coming through and seeing them flourish and helping them flourish uh, feels fantastic so yeah I think as well as the science I've spent quite a lot of time thinking about well how do I build up a team how do we make sure that people feel happy uh, whilst also making sure that we do really good high quality science and sort of looking into the future a little bit, uh, where do you see yourself going over maybe the next five five years or so? Um, I, I'm not short of ideas of stuff <laughs> I wanted to. Um, you know, there's a programme of work that over the last maybe 20 years, which has been sort of developing theory, particularly of persecuted lesions, testing aspects of treatment, developing uh, a face-to-face therapy that we think could be state-of-the-art. But if that is successful, we're currently trialling that. If that's really successful, then there's a whole implementation side about that. Um, and also, although, of course, our state-of-the-art treatment, we hope, will really improve recovery rates, there's still a group of people who don't seem to benefit, and we need to develop treatments for those. And then there's a whole strand, I think, with technology, and particularly immersive virtual reality, that I think has, has, will change mental health treatment uh, in the future. So we've got huge amounts of work to do on developing really good VR psychological treatments um, yeah there's lots of stuff yeah, <laughs> like definitely sounds like there's lots of exciting yeah. times to come well thank you very much Daniel really appreciate it um, pleasure to talk to you yeah thank you look out for more about Daniel's work on our blog mrc.ukri.org forward slash blog for information about other biomedical career options check out our map at mrc.ukri.org forward slash interactive framework. If you like what you hear, then please like, share and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your feedback via Twitter at the underscore MRC or on Facebook where MRC comms. Tune in for our next episode when we'll be talking with nutrition scientist Professor Nita Faruhi about the rewards and challenges of a career studying diet and diabetes. This episode was produced by Debs Barber and Hasina Sakrani, presented by Isabel Harding and edited by Hasina Sakrani. Thanks for listening. <laughs>